Hi, I'm Mackenzie Bacon, and this is 112BK coming to you from downtown Brooklyn. On the show today, to avoid any spoilers, an actor of the critically acclaimed and Pulitzer Prize winning play Fairview and I may be sitting in silence for the next 20 minutes. So, do you like acting? Fairview, the play currently mounted around the corner at the Theatre for a New Audience, has been getting lots of attention. It won playwright Jackie Sibley's Drury the Pulitzer Prize. It's been playing for packed audiences, extended and extended again, and all upcoming performances are nearly sold out. I saw it a couple weeks ago and it ruined me. I wish I could tell you what it's about, but I can't. <laughs> Saying anything at all about it really risks ruining the whole point of the play, which means that my next guest and I may very well end up sitting in silence for 20 minutes exchanging knowing looks. So get ready for some riveting content. Here to talk or not talk about her role in the play is Obie award-winning actor Heather Alicia Sims. Welcome to Woman 2BK. Thank you. And congratulations on your Obie. Thank you. <laughs> so what do you say the play is about when your friends and family are like, oh, Fairview, like, what's that? What's that play about? What am I going to go see? Um, our choreographer, as we were grappling with this, he likened it to three essays. And so I think of it as three conversations. And I think when you're watching it, people are like, oh, okay, I know what this is. And then it moves and then it becomes something else. And then it moves again and it becomes something totally different. So I say it's the conversation about race that you didn't know that you needed to have. And I think that for the sake of this conversation, we can very comfortably talk about the first act, mm -hmm. sort of touch on the second, and mm -hmm. not at all talk about the exactly. third. Um, that was something that I really found fascinating was the way in which the playwright lulls you into a sense of security or makes you feel very proud of yourself for mm -hmm. having discovered what's going on. And as soon as you feel like you are on firm ground, pulls the rug out from underneath you. What was it like the first time you read the play? Reading it is a very different experience than actually performing it. And I think you can be lulled and, and say, what is this? Because what Jackie's doing, and it really is evident in the doing of it, is she's smashing conventions. You know, she's like, oh, that's a convention. Let me let me take my hammer and smash it to pieces. And so reading it, we were like, oh, what what what's happening? OK, this is a nice play. And then we move and you're like, wait a minute. There's a lot going on. It's a mixed bag of emotions. I purposefully didn't read much about the play because I knew I wasn't supposed to before going to see it. Um, but I opened the playbill and I saw that Jackie's previous work was a play that I had seen. And it's called, I'm just going to read it because yes. it's long. <laughs> we are proud to present a presentation about the Herero of Namibia, formerly known as Southwest Africa, from the German Sudwest Africa between the years 1884 and 1915. And when I saw that she had written that, I was like, oh, this is going to be so fucked up. Because <laughs> that play is also, it smashes conventions and right. it's about race and it's devastating. Were you familiar with her work before um, you were cast in Fairview? I was. I saw <laughs> Proud to Present. Yes. No one says the whole play. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> His name. Um, um, I saw Proud to Present and I remember sitting at Soho Rep 
trying to figure out what I had just seen because it was epic. She writes in a way that makes you think about things that you didn't know you were supposed to think about. I saw her play Mary Seacole again, taking a story that very few people know about, a Jamaican nurse during the Crimean Wars, and placing the parallel between Jamaican or immigrant caretakers in this country and what this woman was doing during that time when um, white women were nurses and suffragettes and um, the plight of black women and women of color was pushed to the background. So she's able to grapple with things that seem really ordinary and and heighten them. And the first act of the play is quite ordinary in plot, right? It's about a dinner party, a family dinner party. Um, you play the the mother of mm-hmm. the family, and you are preparing a birthday meal for your mother. And the other characters are your husband, your daughter, and your sister. Right. The play opens with you peeling carrots. Right. And you're listening to Sly and the Family Stone mm-hmm. on the stereo. It's a family mm-hmm. affair. And then something happens to the music. Mm-hmm. What is it? A glitch. A glitch happens. You know, it moves to a family affair, but we have someone else singing it. And we're like, "What?" I'm like, what's happening? What, what just happened? But it's just something that I can't focus on because... I have this family dinner. And, you know, it's like any important family dinner, and you have to get this meal prepared. And Mm -hmm. this glitch that you call it Mm -hmm. um, is sort of the only moment where we're like, oh, that's odd, and maybe this play is going to transcend a kitchen sink dramedy. Um, It's it's sort of a... A, a white cover or remix of the song. Would you say that? Yeah, I, feel like I believe it? it's Bob Dylan. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> um, the acting style in the first act is not exactly what I would call naturalistic. Right. Can you talk a little bit about what you bring to that first act and the choices that are made in terms of the sort of like broader acting style? Well, not giving too much away, but the way that the set um, Mimi said, it looks like a television screen, you know? And so it, when we were talking about the play in the beginning, um, Jackie and Sarah likened it to a sitcom a la Family Matters or Fresh Prince or The Cosby Show. And so we are that family, that black family that you see and you have a good time with, they may grapple with some issues, but in the end, everything is okay. And I think in the beginning, people are like, huh, what is this style? Why are they acting <laughs> that right, way? Right. It, it's supposed to live a bit in the world of a sitcom. Mm-hmm. I'm curious about how that impacted the way that you approached the role of Beverly, or if it did at all. Um, because, you know, as we said, the first act is just sort of this like, family dramedy where you're in conflict with your sister and you have issues with your daughter Mm -hmm. and then the play morphs into something else did you approach it the same way that you would have approached um any role of of a mother uh grappling with a daughter and sister or were there other elements of your preparation that you had to handle differently i didn't know what this play was and how it worked and 
I had never done anything like this. And I know that people have never seen anything like this. And so I had to rely not just on myself, but on the other actors and really just asking, what are you seeing? What are we doing? What is this? What is this thing that we're doing in a way that I don't always do when I'm working? I bring what I have and I place it on the stage with my colleagues and we work from there. But I felt like this was collaborative in a different kind of way. And we have a clip from the play oh. that we'll go ahead and screen. <laughs> this is a scene between you and your sister. Okay. Keisha? Was that Keisha? I need her to help me with the pie crust. I can help you. No. <laughs> That's all right, I can do it. You know, Keisha mentioned that she might want to take a minute before college. My daughter is going to college. I went to college. You went to college. Our mother went to college. It's not a conversation. I think your daughter might have a Are you trying to tell me how to raise my child? Nope. <laughs> you just take this glass of wine up to mom. All right then. <laughs> Mama, your favorite daughter is here. I bought a rosé from France. It tastes like a beautiful black man I met in Marseille. Can I tell you about it, Mama? Oh! Every time. Can you talk about the bonds between the rest of your performers that, that were formed over the course of rehearsals? It was one of those things where we were able to lean on each other and certain things that are done and said in performance, we were like, it's kind of off limits outside of performance, you know? And when you come and see the play, you'll know. <laughs> I feel totally safe, especially at the end of the play with the group of people that I'm working with, so that is definitely a plus, and it's necessary with this kind of work. Would you count this among one of the more challenging roles or plays that you've been in? It is the most challenging play that I've ever been in, which is a good thing, because you know, you can do play after play, and you can get the accolades, um, but this kind of stretching I didn't know that I needed, and I learned something new about this play every single time that I do it. You know? I think we're doing a great job of talking around this play, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> I, have to, I have to commend us. I hope that the audience is like, what the hell are, what, they, talking what are they talking about? about what is this show? <laughs> um, this play is about race. We'll say that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think it's mm -hmm. safe to say that. Um, the director of the play, um, Sarah Benson, is white mm -hmm. and British. Um, right. And this play is about an African-American family. How did you approach working with a white British director? Were there um, conversations that happened before you guys even stepped into the rehearsal room about what that dynamic was going to be like? I had to hear the play with everyone else. You know, I had to hear 
how people were approaching the characters. And so it wasn't until then that we could really start having the conversation. Because the question that you asked me was a question that I asked Sarah one day when I was like, I don't know. I said, Sarah, when you talk to your friends and say, hey, come see this play Fairview, what do you tell them it's about? And we had this beautiful conversation amongst the cast about what the play is, just stepping inside of it. You can get lost. I've had friends leave the theater and say, I just had to go for a walk. I had to... I had to digest this, and people have come back multiple times to see it so that they can grab onto, grab onto moments that they probably missed. The play is designed to make the audience uncomfortable, yeah. and that discomfort sort of starts kicking in in Act Two. It does warrant a conversation about race, and it's a conversation that I remember when Obama was elected, people said, oh, now as a country, we're finally going to have a conversation about race. And I used to wonder about that statement because I didn't know when or where, where do we have this conversation? And I realized that work like Jackie's and having the ability to tell a story in this way is a way to start the conversation. Because in this country, we're always talking about race, but we're not talking about race interracially. We're talking about it interracially. Black people are talking to black people, Asian people are talking to Asian people, white people are talking to white people. But we rarely get the opportunity to talk about it amongst each other. And I, in my fantasy, when people are leaving this show, they're able to have that conversation if they really hear what Jackie is asking from us. Absolutely. I went immediately next door to Fulton Hall mm -hmm. with my girlfriend and we had a drink and I was like, how many conversations about race have the servers at this bar had to overhear since yeah. this show has been mounted? Probably yeah. a lot. Yeah. And you're looking for a drink and a place to sit as soon as possible. Yeah, and you stumble <laughs> out and the closest place is right next right, door. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's interesting what you said about Obama because I feel in many ways that for a lot of white people in particular, the election of Obama meant, oh, thank God we don't have to talk about race exactly. anymore. Exactly. Right? So that conversation that maybe we had hoped it would spur for a lot of people was the end of a conversation because mm -hmm. we're not racist anymore. We have a black president. Right. It, it set people at ease in a way that it was like, no, 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 now is the time. Now we can have this conversation, but. <sighs> in, in a way, the play reminds me a little bit of a really hard couples therapy session where there's always the conversation that you know that you need to have around the tenderest issues, but nobody wants to have that conversation. Nobody's like, oh, like, let's sit down at, on a date night and talk about the thing that's really difficult in this relationship. Right. And it's only when there's a rupture or you're forced to, when you're brought into a therapist's office, for example, and it's like, no, n now we're going to look at each other for an hour, or in the case of the show, 90 yeah. minutes, and yeah. talk about the thing that we don't want to, right. that you get to have those really important discussions. Yeah. And, you know, it really is what's brilliant about this play, because it does force you to grapple with yourself. No matter how you identify, you have to grapple with what you 
are seeing who you are, where you are in this continuum. I've had white friends say at the end that they've grap they grappled with what they should do, you know, and what they can do. And hopefully it allows people to think about what they can do past that moment, what they can do in the world. Because, you know, it's necessary. It's necessary to think past ourselves and have empathy. You know, putting yourself in someone else's shoes can be a revolutionary act. Before I saw the show, I said to my girlfriend, I was like, oh, you know, this trajectory looks good. Like maybe maybe this is Broadway bound. It won the Pulitzer. You know, it would seem to have a lot of the Broadway elements to it. And mm -hmm. then I saw it and I was like, <laughs> I don't know that this has a Broadway life. Do you think that's a possibility? Do you think that A, Broadway is ready for it? B, it's even possible in a larger setting than it currently is in? I think it's possible. I think it would take a really bold producing group to decide that they want to tackle this conversation. I think that it would be, and I used the word before, revolutionary, especially in a Broadway setting. I'll, I'll because, go farther and say incendiary, yeah, potentially. Yeah, because um, when we think about the great white way, we don't think about this. You know, and and it's not a matter of diversity. It's a it's about how we view this particular matter and how we address it in this country. And I think what would be great about a Broadway run, it feels like, you know, this conversation is has been able to be had by a lot of New Yorkers, and there are people who have come from out of town who've seen it, but. Broadway is a place that people from all over. Yes, get you know, the people who are deciding between Phantom exactly, and Fairview. Yeah, and they're going to choose Fairview every time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it, it makes me think of what the Constitution means to me, another yeah. show that's currently running on Broadway. And when I saw it, I thought, wow, a lot of people in this audience maybe the people who need to see this show most, it's about, you know, gender-based violence, among mm -hmm. other things, went to this show thinking that it was a nice white lady mm -hmm. talking about constitutionality. Mm -hmm. uh, and surprise, they got something that they probably needed to hear. And I'm curious about if you think that, you know, the playbill and the publicity for the play give very little away, but it's the face of a young black woman. Mm -hmm. Do you think, even knowing as little as people know about it, even if they just hear, oh, it's about race, do you think that the audience who needs to see the show will go see the show if it's if it transfers to Broadway? Well, I'm no marketing person, mm. but I don't know that if we just say it's about race, <laughs> <laughs> right. then people will go. Because right. I think it's something that people fear in this country. When you say it's about race, people go, oh, gosh, you right. know. Um, so it is about a family, and it's about, you know, in the first act, it could be your family, it could be my family, it could be the guy over there's family, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? It could be anybody's family. And that's what's beautiful about it, that it could be anyone, but then when it turns, we realize that it can't be anyone's family. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
So you won an OB recently. Congratulations. Yes. This is for fabulation, for your role in fabulation? For um, my roles in fabulation and, by the way, Meet Vera Star. Ah, for both of them. Yeah. Okay, so both of those plays are by Lynn Nottage. Yes. Um, also a Pulitzer Prize winner. Mm -hmm. And since Susan Laurie Parks won the Pulitzer for Top Dog Underdog in 2002, um, black women have won almost a quarter of the Pulitzers for Best Drama. Uh, which was pretty, which was shocking to me actually when I when I saw that. I'm curious about: Do you think that we are in sort of a golden age for Black female playwrights, um, and why is it that the theater, the live theater, is an arena where Black women are allowed to succeed in the way that they are, and that their voices are um, are heard and given the the awards mm -hmm. that they deserve? I mean, I don't know why that is, but I know that the playwrights that you've mentioned, um, along with a plethora of other playwrights, are writing from their core, writing honestly. They're writing about what they see in um, America, in their communities, in, you know, the diaspora. And there's an honesty, there's a grit, um, and it's a, their voices that are lacking. And so I think that um, people are hungry for it. And so I hope that it's not the golden age, mm. you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Because that would mean that it's going to end at some point, and I don't want that to happen. People like Lynn and Susan and Jackie are paving the way for that. They are, and it's... It's, it's beautiful to see because there's a diversity of voices. Being able to see yourself reflected is something that I wish for all of us. I wanna see everyone and the richness of their cultures reflected. So you work not only in the theater, you work in film, TV, also voiceover. Yeah. <laughs> um, and one of the themes in Fairview is sort of the white consumption of culture and about how many of the stereotypes that exist that uh, with Asians, Latinos, black people, that mm -hmm. white people hold are due to representations in the media, as you mentioned. Right. How does that or does it impact the decisions that you make as an actor? Are there roles that you won't take? There are. You know, and it's funny, you know, you mentioned voiceover. There was um, one time that I was booked for a voiceover with a friend of mine. And when, you know, it was a booking that just came about. And when we got there, the material was so offensive. And this was years ago that we were like, we can't do this. You know, we can't do this and leave here with any part of our dignity intact. And so I remember he and I just kind of mutinied. We called our agent and said, you know, this isn't something that we can do. I think it's important to feel like you do have agency in the world, but especially as actors, I think that um, too many times people think that you're hungry for anything mm. and you shouldn't feel like you have to compromise yourself. Mm -hmm. If somebody hasn't seen Fairview, why would you tell them that they should come see it before the show closes? 
I think that it will change something that you think that you know about yourself, that you think that you know about race. It may be cathartic for you. It may help you to spread light in this world. It is such a brilliant and masterful piece of art that I think that if you want to be in the conversation of, yes, I saw Fairview back in 2019, <laughs> because I do think that it's going to be one of those pieces that people talk about for many years to come, um, that you should come and be a part of the conversation. I second that. Heather Alicia Sims, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. And that is the show for today. If you liked what you heard, the best way to show it is to go see Fairview, duh. Or you could review Woman 2 BK on iTunes and please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time. Woman 2 BK is hosted by me, Mackenzie Fagan. It is series produced by Ross Tuttle, also produced by Fred Brown, Shereen Bargi, Isabel Alcantara, Naeem Van, and Emily Bogosian. It is recorded in studio by Clinton Filson Jr., Eric Hogseg, and Antonio M. Rosario. It is post-produced by Alexander Pointzolo, edited by Mira Al-Rahim, and executive produced by Jonathan Leaf, Sasha Mathias, and Aziz Aisham. 